Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 11 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. Cannoli Fingers. <laughs> and, I'm, <laughs> and I'm here with my infamous co-host, the Saskatchewan Savage, former market maker of 20 years who's been involved with more manipulations than your ex-girlfriend, a man whose name rings bells down on House Street, a.k.a. Jim Dalton's Oracle. I'm talking about JJ. JJ, how's it going? Good, Ray. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing real good, man. And uh, we're coming off a podcast we did last week uh, with uh, modern day renaissance man, Bill Perkins, hedge fund manager, poker player, producer, etc. Um, always a pleasure to hear Bill speak. Uh, what were your thoughts uh, and, and impressions from last week? I was, I was blown away that we had somebody uh, who took the other side of a historical trade uh, on our show. You know, that, for me, having having him on the show, it was like having Nelson Bunker Hunt on the show. Um, you know, and for those who don't know, that is a gentleman who tried to corner the silver market in the 70s. So, you know, when you have people who uh, are involved in historical trades, that's very cool. Um, mm-hmm. So as, as a pure trader, that was great. And the other nice thing was, too, about his his philosophy of life, which was which kind of was a little bit of a slap in the face that I needed. I'm really glad that, uh, you know, that he was on and talked about that. Yeah, no, definitely. And he's even, you know, he's been somebody I've been following for, for a while and just, just hearing that again from him, like the, the die with zero philosophy, uh, what, you know, like I, I realized like, you know, I, all last week I was out spending, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, no, that, that's not what he meant. That's not what no, he no, meant. No. I know. No, no. I'm halfway joking, but like, you know, it, it does. It, it's, it's, it's a very interesting philosophy and I'm willing to bet a little bit of money. I bet that becomes a bestseller. Oh, I'm sure it will. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. it will. Yeah. So no, it was great to hear him talk. And if you guys haven't listened to it, go back, listen to it. Episode number 10. Um, and today, uh, we're going to be discussing market preparation and study habits of a professional trader. So, JJ, how much time do you put into market preparation? Um, <laughs> well, truth be told, actually, the last three years. Uh, but the thing is, quite a bit. Uh, when I was starting out, um, you know, and I was telling Ray before this, right before the podcast, uh, I really thought I knew what I was doing. And uh, man, I, I got you know, some humble pie really, really quickly. Uh, so I kind of threw myself into it. And when I found profile in that, it, it did take some time. So I would watch the market and then I would replay the market at night using the replay feature on, um, on the Sierra chart that I have. And then I would, you know, watch Dalton videos and then I would try and apply what he said. So I kind of really threw myself into it. Now, mm-hmm. Once Mm -hmm. you're better at it and you have a life and once you've kind of immersed yourself into it and you can see the market and you know what to look for, um, you know, I I don't know if it, and everyone's different. Some people can get away with 20 minutes of prep. Um, I like to take at least an hour at night and set up what I see for the next day. And, and lately I've kind of been trading it now, you know, looking at trading at night too. Um, you know, cause that Globex, I mean, yesterday was beautiful. Um, a beautiful rotational night. So there, I, I do spend a lot of time in front of the screen. Um, and in the morning, what I used to do, uh, which I should be doing again, and I haven't, 
is getting up a lot earlier, going to the gym, and then doing like half an hour of prep in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. But lately, I haven't been doing the gym part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. And, and on the topic of balance, you know, li- living like a you know wholesome life, is there such thing as like overstudying or being like overprepared? I don't think there's a such thing as being overprepared, but there is such a thing as being a little bit obsessive and uh, right. being the only trader amongst all my friends and everybody I know in the city that I live in. They tell me that all the, they'll they'll tell me, look, JJ, look, you're you're a little obsessed. Uh, you need to get out of the house, and you know they'll drag me to a movie or they'll you know pull me out of the house somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Right. It's, yeah, it's all about striking a balance because, you know, I asked that question more of a relating to my like poker experience and that like I feel like sometimes I, you know, overstudied in the fact that like when I got to the table and I was playing, I almost was overthinking certain situations to where the, the answer was actually much simpler than I was making it out to be, if that makes sense. No, I went through that when I started to absorb information. At first, it took me a while to understand, and then mm-hmm. once I started to absorb information, I put it took in too much and then I would that would cause me to freeze. Right, uh, we're right. executing. So no, I, I I do understand that 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 really does make sense. Um, and and for me, a lot of it is psychological. When I was young, I never I was lazy when I was a kid, so I never studied. Like my mom's got three university degrees, like and you know honor roll whatever um, student, but I was just lazy. So I tried to make up for it in my twenties by being completely the other way. So I'm trying to find a balance. <laughs> shout out shout out to your mother and so uh so jj explain what your schedule is like once the market closes um do you take time to unwind first or you jumping right back into it uh well when i'm being healthy i'll go to the gym um mm-hmm. lately i've just been running errands and then i'll usually be back in time for globex so it's only an hour mm-hmm. right um so yeah lately i've been extremely unhealthy um you know i've been you know, just because I've been kind of really obsessed with figuring out this market and figuring out, you know, the agendas and, and you know, uh, you know, how to react uh, to this kind of very politically news sensitive market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have really, I really have, you know, you talk about balance. I've had no balance for the last at least six months. Yeah. Okay, so you know, I, I see on Twitter uh, you post your TPO charts. Um, you know, once the Asian Pacific markets open in Europe as well, uh, what are you looking for? Is there anything specifically that you're looking for? Um, yeah, I'm looking to see because the the ES which I trade which I trade uh, is based on the S and P 500. The the markets, the New York Stock Exchange, is not open during the Globex, so the Globex traders can bully the price around quite a bit. Uh, because it can get away from the actual underlying equities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll, I'll look for when they push it up. And, and I have my levels that I've been working on for two or th- two, three years. And, you know, like last night, uh, I knew that, you know, from the bottom, it would rotate back up to the top once we fail to gain acceptance under, under a certain level. And, um, you know, and I'll watch for that, and then I'll watch for the other end of balance. And like I say, last night was a perfect example. Uh, yeah, and I'll see how, exactly how short they get the market or how long they get the market. Um, if there's any news-driven events that move inventory or skew it, you know, from one side to another, too much. Mm-hmm. Now, now, how much how much do you take for uh, take into account the global market news into your analysis? Uh, 
into my analysis, none. Okay. Uh, what I, what I will do is because uh, I don't I try not to listen to news. I'm not a news based trader because I can't execute fast enough, faster than an algorithm. Right. So what I will do is I will have the profile will give me a structure, and that structure will also give me levels of where I want to execute if a news driven event takes price to one of my levels. So what I will look for is how price reacts around my levels, how it behaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, say if it's, you know, for example, if the market, you know, a tweet comes out and the market just drops really hard. If it goes to my level and stops, you know, dead to my level, or if it gets front run by a couple of ticks off that level, then I know it's technical traders and it's safe to jump in, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because when the other time frame, the big funds are selling, my levels mean nothing. They just, they'll just crush right through them. Mm-hmm. When you when you when you say front running, can you explain what that means? Okay, front running like in the old days would mean if I was working on a trade desk and you were sitting next to me and I would hear your client coming in to buy a large position of something, I'd jump in and 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 go long before your client could execute. Mm-hmm. That's called front running because I know that your client's buying is going to push the price up and I can sell into it and make a quick profit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Front running nowadays means if, you know, say if the ES comes to a level, like for example, half back of the day, right? And I noticed that the pace of the slowing slows down as we get to half back and we don't quite tag it. We'll stop a tick or two ticks short of it. That means that those technical traders have jumped in and front run that level, right? right. Which means, which tells me two things: that one, technical traders are in charge of the market, and two, the other time frame or large natural sellers are not out there, right? Mm-hmm. So I can tell that if a market reacts that way after not just once, but you know, two or three times at different levels, then you know it's a technical market and. In a balance, for example, then you can trade the ends of the opposite extremes of that balance and not use really large stops. All right. Got you. Got you. All right. So right now, JJ, we're going to take a a brief intermission to do our confession segment of the podcast. Uh, I I just threw on my clergy outfit. I'm Father Paulie Walnuts. JJ, before the Lord, confess one of your market making sins. Oh, okay. Well, once I was doing a short squeeze on a deal uh, for a group out of Vancouver, and uh, it was a real motley crew of guys. There were, you know, politicians, uh, guys who were board members of public companies, and then they had some kind of nefarious people in in the group too. And um, they were always they were selling every day, and you know, the guy who had the deal said he owned all the stock, so. We shouldn't be getting all this selling. And they kept saying that there was a short seller. And so they called me in to figure out who was selling. And uh, within within a very, very short amount of time, I had figured out that one of the members was what we call backdooring or selling behind the other, you know, the other uh, members back. Mm-hmm. This is a very, very common thing. When you have five or six guys and they have a large position and they take something public, one of them you know, they have a gentleman's agreement not to sell uh, behind each other's back. They all sell at the same time. Um, you know, if you read reminiscence of a uh, stock operator, uh, Livermore talks about pools, 
Well, that, that's very common in the under $20 market when you have three or four guys financing a deal or taking a company public. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they brought me into this thing and, and, you know, we were just eating paper at $5 all day long. And, uh, one night it was, uh, it was like a Thursday night after the close. Um, everybody runs away as soon as like traders, when that close happens in Vancouver, they're gone, they're out the door. And, you know, me, uh, not really having much of a life. I was sitting around watching and about half an hour, 45 minutes after the close, I mean, I still had my quotes up, you know, I see 300,000 shares go across the tape at $5, um, at $5. And I see another 300,000 shares go across the tape at $4 and 97 cents. Um, so that, that means that, uh, that's an after hours trade and it's what we call a backfill. So somebody was having a market maker get short for him and then decided to fill that market maker 45 minutes after the close. So nobody would see it. Uh-huh. Unfortunately I was there and I caught it. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. And uh, it was a backfill with a give up. A give up is, is that three cents a share on those 300,000 shares for the market maker. That's how much money he made for doing that trade. Mm-hmm. So I see that thing print and, um, you know, I, I call, you know, I tell the boys, I go, somebody's back, you know, you guys have a back door and it's coming out of Canada because, uh, you know, I, I, I can tell by the prints where the stock's coming from, whether it's a onshore U.S. order or an offshore order. And so they, they got together and finally the, the guy, they, they, they all kind of knew that this one guy was selling and they basically berated him and he confessed that he sold the stock. And, and um, the, the next day, uh, one of the nefarious guys called him up and, you know, uh, said, yeah, you're in your office right now. Look out the window. There's a rifle trained at your head. And the guy hit the floor. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, they weren't actually going to shoot him, but they just wanted to scare him from selling anymore. Yeah. But yeah, that was, that, that's, yeah, I, I, I caught him. I caught him red handed and exposed him and uh, kind of, you know, gave him a little bit of heart trouble. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, gotta scare him a bit. You know what I mean? Can't, can't let, can't let that stuff slide. How, how often would that stuff like that happen, JJ? I imagine a lot, right? Every, every day, every day. Wow. That, that's why the really, really big deal guys uh, in Vancouver, New York, whatever, they, they, ran a, a lone hand they wouldn't have partners right. that way they would have you know they would have all the stocks distributed in nominee accounts that they controlled and they controlled everything and that's why their stocks went from a dollar to 15 dollars in traded volume and you know and they would take 18 months to two years and get rid of you know 200 300 million you know dollars worth of stock um and you know and and make a good haul yeah yeah, it's it's a, it's always interesting to hear these stories from you, man. Uh, yeah, incredible, incredible. All right, so let, let's jump uh, back into our topic. Um, so let's discuss. I want to discuss a little bit uh, about after hour and uh, the trading volume. Um, so, what are, is there anything like specific you're looking for? Uh, not really. Uh, the ES and and the micro are so liquid that, you know, you can get in there and move 10, 15, 20, 30 lots, no problem mm-hmm. uh, because it's liquid. I imagine you can even move a hundred lots uh, without much, much trouble at all. That's, that's swinging a pretty big line. Um, so I will look at the volume in the morning coming into the open saying, you know, Oh, did we have a lot of volume in the overnight? Was it active? Well, you know, that means there was some sort of a news driven event or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I won't pay too much attention to it. Okay. 
Um, and so how early do you start prepping uh, for a pre-market? And are, are there key things that you're looking at? Uh, well, the thing is, I'm up usually quite late at night. So I'll have a picture in my head of what where the market was when I went to sleep. And then when I wake up, I'll look and see, oh, it's it's where I left it or it came off or or that sort of thing. Um, and then that I'll know, I'll, I'll look at inventory, you know, like, you know, if our inventory is long from the open or short from the open, uh, I mean, from the close of the previous day, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'll look at the close of the, the previous day and then is the inventory above that close or below it, you know, and uh, on balanced and sort of rotational days, um, you know, Mr. Dalton says there's a 65% chance that that inventory will correct. Um, so in the open, you know, uh, so I, if I look at that, I'll go, okay, well, inventory needs to correct. What it's, what's the probability that it kind of will? So, yeah, I look I, I look at those things. I do about half an hour, 45 minutes of prep before the day. Okay. Okay. And, and, and from when you look at it at night, right before you go to bed, like you said, is it more or less the same? Is it changing often? Like, like from your experience? It it really depends on on the situation. Yeah, you know sometimes if we're in a balance range, we'll just be balancing in in like last night we we basically traded in the day's range to the tick. You know it, it explored down, then it went explored up, and then it came back to the middle. And uh, you know so it, that that's one context. If we have uh, a currency sort of thing with China. You know, the market might gap down quite a bit at night, mm-hmm. you know, and then a tweet could make it gap back up. So it, it all depends. Sure. Sure. Like, like a lot of things. And so what what off hour studying uh, do you suggest um, our listeners do? Uh, books, videos, et cetera? The, the only books on market profile I have read are Jim Dalton's. Um, and I have to confess, it's been a couple of years since I've read them. So I probably should reread them. Mm-hmm. Um. I, those I read, his videos, of course, um, are what I grew up on. So I'll watch those. Um, and then I, I don't know, I, I, I carry reminiscence of a stock operator around like a Bible. Um, like if I take my mother to the dollar store, I know she's going to be in there for an hour. So I'll sit in the car and I'll read reminiscences. I keep a copy in the car. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I have it on my phone. Uh, you, you know, because of the different types of things I've done in the market as, you know, like being a deal guy, being, you know, running stock pools and then trading my own, like by myself, I, I kind of relate a lot to Livermore's uh, experiences. And when I first read that book 25 years ago, to be honest, I had no idea what the hell he was talking about. And the English was kind of different too, because it's, you know, from the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. So but the more and more I read it and the more trading experiences I had, I'd be like, oh, my God, you know, he was right. Oh, my God, he was right. You know, and I just had this experience. I mean, but with computers, not ticker tape, you know. Right, right. Yeah, no, it, it's fascinating how things can still ring true, even written, you know, a long time ago. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And so um, this next question, um, I'm going to re- – I'm relating it kind of to my poker experience, right? Like, like me studying poker – a lot of times, you know, a lot of emphasis on like review your review your hands that you played, and you also hear this a lot um, in trading. It's like, hey, go back review uh, your trades. Now, can reviewing your trades can it be like deceitful um, or like deceiving? Looking back on it in hindsight, could you have that? You know, 
you have that ability of hindsight of looking back at it. What, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I, I, I review my trades and I review, like, I will uh, play back the day, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I used to do it every night. Now I do it, I do it Saturday, um, you know, Saturday morning. But uh, Sierra Chart, the software we use, has a replay feature, which is beautiful. Right. Um, and one of my buddies, um, you know, he, he can replay, like, you can replay back like 100 days, right? Mm-hmm. And, and back test. But I will re- review the day and I will look and see, oh, I missed that. Or, oh, you know, I should be aware of that. Or, you know, they're mechanically selling from this level. And so I, I will look and, and see how that structure developed during the day it's kind of like watching game film right, um, right. if you're a football player uh, because a lot of the trading stuff i've noticed if i'm like mechanical about it and i think it through by the time i've thought through the process the trade has happened and i missed it that happened to me for the longest time mm-hmm. because i'd be thinking okay I'd, like i had i'd have a checklist i mean you know inventory is this structures that does it work you know our internals and after a while you internalize that and it becomes like, you know, a linebacker, you know, looking, looking at a, you know, at a setup and, and just instinctively knowing where the running back's going to be after a while, because you just, you just keep reinforcing it and they'll watch game film and all that discipline that everybody thinks is boring. Eventually it, you see things and then you can react without hesitating. Right, right. It, it almost becomes like subconscious. Exactly. And, you know, you know, and, and I asked the question too, because, you know, obviously I'm very limited trading experience and trading knowledge. And so I'm going to try and compare this to poker. And hopefully this makes sense to you. It's like, like, I would go back and like review my hands, JJ. And, and you know, obviously in hindsight, I could say like, oh man, maybe I should have folded that because X, Y, and Z, because this guy, he blinked his eye a certain way. Or if it was online, it's like, oh, oh I should have okay. told by his, his bet sizing. But in reality, I made the right play theoretically. And so like maybe with like, is there any way you can look in hindsight with your trading and being like, oh, I should have known that. But there's things in real time that might be hard to actually understand while it's, you know, maybe the market's developing. I, I, I don't know if that made sense to you. No, no, that, that it kind of does. I, because the thing is, I've never played poker, so I, I should learn how to do that. Um, the, the thing with that is I'll, I'll look. Because so much of my trading and the way I look at the market now is based upon the structure of the market and and how inventory plays into that structure in the context of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll look and see as and and a lot of the times I, I will be able to see a situation or a pattern uh, occur and then make note of it for the next time. Uh, you know, because we do have a lot of recurring patterns. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and, and technical people, you know, who look at candlesticks and, and all those things, you know, they realize that. Um, I'll realize that when, you know, because a lot of day trading in, in, in the futures and the e mini and the micro are inventory based um, because there's an interplay between the retail trader and the wholesale trader. And, you know, you, I will look to see when retail is panicking and wholesale is absorbing it. And then once retail has sort of dried up, then wholesale will start taking it back up and, and that, you know, and then people will chase it and price will go back up. And a lot of people uh, miss that because they think once selling has started, that it's just going to continue and continue. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, a lot of the time, you know, price will go down and it will be rejected. You know, it will bring buyers instead of sellers, 
you know, lower prices. So those kinds of, of scenarios I'll look at over and over again. I hope I'm not rambling on here. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. Got it, got it. And uh, yeah, we're gonna uh, uh, we should organize in in the future. Get a you know confessions of a market maker uh, trip out to Vegas to teach JJ how to play poker. <laughs> you know, I, I all the time. I mean, I used to have an apartment in Vegas, and you know because my degenerate clients would always want to go down there, mm-hmm. but I never, I never played. I mean, I'd sit next to them um, at these tables and things like that and watch them throw away ridiculous sums of money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they're like, Oh, we got a free hotel room. I'm like, yeah, you just dropped 50 grand. <laughs> 50 grand you know? the hotel room. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, put a down payment on a condo, you idiot. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> but you know, that's where the thing. So I would just sit there and, you know, just look around, you know, it was like, it was like I was really bored. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I think with that, we'll, uh, we'll jump into some listener questions. I mean, anything else that you would like to shed light on, on this topic, as far as, you know, preparation and study? Uh, no, you just, you know, you really, really, I, I don't know. I, I still have yet to meet somebody who can just come in and naturally trade the, as in a retail sense. Yeah. Um, you know, and I took that for granted when I was on the trade desk because we just traded, you know, our clients order flow and, you know, you want the price to go up, I'd, I'll move it up, you know? So yeah. you take a lot of that for granted, um, you know, when, when you come into retail trading and, and that was really hard. So I, I have to prepare. There's, there's no way around it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, and with that, we'll jump into the listener questions. And then just a quick reminder to everybody out there listening, if you guys haven't already, if you enjoy the podcast, if you could uh, like and rev- uh, leave a review, like it um, on whatever pod- podcast platform, or if you listen to on YouTube, do the same thing as well. All right. And with that said, on to the listener questions. Um, we hold these every week. And so if you guys have questions for me and JJ, any type of question is acceptable. Submit those in on Twitter. All right. So jumping into the first question, we got at... Uh, from Wing Girl Trade, can you explain the concept of the micro e mini education room and why educate on the micros only in your portal room? And Ray, is JJ a tough teacher? Um, I'll, well, no, I don't think JJ is a tough teacher. I think he's a fair teacher. I think he's a good teacher, but I wouldn't describe him as tough. As in, like he's not, you know, he's not like a football coach. He ain't barking in my ear. Um, and, and- and I haven't thrown a phone at your head. Yeah, yeah. Thank God. Yeah. That's how we. That's how. That's how we were taught. In the yeah. Well, thank God we're about like four thousand miles apart, or whatever. I don't know how long. <laughs> but uh, yeah, JJ, do you want to? Um, yeah, touch on the concept of the room a little bit. Uh, the room is for people uh, who are are coming into this, or people who are having trouble and need education on um, really what a market is, how to view a market so you can trade it intelligently. Um, and what I've, I've noticed with a lot of, you know, sort of places that they'll teach you uh, what's going on, you know, on your screens, but they don't really teach you what's going on behind the screens. Um, there is an agenda, you know, order flow has an agenda. You know, when I enter an order to put in, to buy a million shares of stock, I have an agenda, right? Um, when you know I finance a company and I want to work out my investment 
into your retail buying, that is an agenda. So there is that. And there's also a structure and a, and a system underneath, um, especially the equity market, that really does help a lot of the times with good trade location for me. And that's clearing. Um, for example, the the micros they uh, the, and the mini, they, trade, they don't trade in a vacuum. They're based on the S&P 500. And those are 500 stocks. There is a mechanism and a clearing system uh, and a mechanics to how stocks are traded. That's why you'll see a market gap up in the morning and all of a sudden, you know, the bottom will fall out of it and everybody gets burned that was that was chasing that gap. Um, there are things like that that apply that you can see very, very visually in a futures market like the mini and the, the, the micro, especially the micro. Uh, the micro is a low uh, barrier to entry cost-wise, so it's a great teaching and learning instrument. Uh, you know, you're not going to become a millionaire trading the, the micro, but you are going to learn to trade well, and then you can just switch to the mini. Um, that That is the focus of the room. The focus is to, to in, in really simple terms, the focus of the room is to help people look both ways before they cross that highway. Uh, because I, and, you know, uh, or to use another analogy, it's basic anatomy for people who want to be a surgeon. You know, I will take them from the ground up, you know, people who don't know what a bid and an ask is, people who don't know what a tick is, an uptick or a down tick. Um, you know, I want to put the picture together in, in a way that people understand this is what's happening. This is what's motivating the people with the big money right now. So let's, Let's trade alongside them. Absolutely, absolutely, and I'm, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm very excited to uh, uh, be a part of this launch of this room on the uh, the 26th. We're gonna bring the same type of vibe we have with this podcast. You know, gonna be good information, keep it fun at the same time. So, you know, we look forward to seeing you guys in there. And uh, next question is from at Hollow Possum. What is the best trading strategy for a working professional that has flexible time during most days but can't always be looking at the screen? Uh, well, what I what I've learned, uh, and a friend of mine actually, because I never traded off a cell phone. Okay, uh, I've never traded off a cell phone before because I'm an old guy and I grew up with the internet where you know it time out or it cut out or the software would crash. Um, so I never trusted it. But I have this friend, and um, you know she's a lot more intelligent than I am, and she trades off a cell phone. I mean, she'll look at the market on her screens, put on a trade and monitor it from her cell phone. And if you move your stops up and if you know where your structure is in your head, you can do that. So, you know, there are ways to trade, you know, these markets, the futures markets are nice because they're a 23 hour a day market. Mm -hmm. So you can trade at night, you can trade during the day. Um, you know, you can look at the structure and say, look, I'm going to get in at this price. I'm going to get in out at that price. And here are where my stops are, my risk. This is what I'm looking at. And, and you can manage those trades from a cell phone. We, there's a lot of people who do it now. Um, you know, um, software is so much more stable, um, you know, than, than what I remember mm -hmm. it, you know, and it, it's, it's very doable. I mean, it is. And this is a question I don't know. And that's why I'm asking it. Like, I mean, for yourself, right? Or for anyone who likes to trade, you know, with the TPO chart. I mean, is that something accessible from the phone? There, that's not accessible. I do not know of any software that is a mobile TPO. But if you have your TPO references, and and you know, you could put them down on a notepad in your phone, 
um, you know, like, you know, these are the references I'm looking at. And then you can, you know, look at your phone and, and your regular chart and just, you know, uh, take those references and put them on your regular mm-hmm. chart. Right. Um, you know, you, and, and that works better for kind of a longer term trade. Like, like last night, for example, I, I looked at the market when it, when it dropped under, um, 2918 and, and I knew it would rotate back up. So you could put on a trade and then go away for a few hours and, you know, put in your stops, um, and, you know, let the trade work for you, come back and then trail your stops Mm -hmm. up, you know, um, it's very, very possible. And, and that is a four or five hour timeframe trade and it paid really nicely. Okay. So, so, me, me trying to bring this back to the guy's question, right? Because he says – he does say he has flexible time, right, during most days, but he can't always be looking at the screen. Now, let's say the cell phone – he doesn't want to trade off the cell phone because I, I would imagine most people probably don't want to. You know, you know what I'm saying? What would you, I, I don't know. You're, you're, you're the younger demographic. Most people I know your age trade off you know, To me, that's not appealing. I almost feel like I'm doing that at a disadvantage. But uh, then again, I'm not the most knowledgeable. Well, no, no. But here's no, no. That's the thing that, and that, that's what's changed. There are a lot of people who successfully trade off a cell phone. Listen, I was the first, like you know, I'm 30 years older than you are, 20 years older, so I'd be the first guy to go, ah, you know, those cell phone, don't trade off of it. But the more and more I talk to retail pr- traders, and the more and more I'm around, around younger people, I notice that they are they are doing it, and they're doing it successfully. So how do they do it? You know, you take a longer term approach and you trail your stops right, up, right. right? While while you're watching right. the market, and if he's got flexible hours, then he can just you know he can trade when he has time, and then when he doesn't have time, he just doesn't have yeah. to trade. Yeah, no, it makes that makes sense. Taking a more uh, a long term yeah. trade, a long term trade. Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. cool, cool. All right, right, and you can do that with and you can do that with structure, right? right? If if you know the structure of the market and you know we're in balance and you're playing the opposite ends of balance. You know, it's very doable. I never thought it was until I kind of did it last night. And yeah, it really opened my eyes. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm I'm even a, a little surprised to hear you, um, you know, say that's even a viable option because you know this is something you never even talked about even off the podcast. So, uh, really, no, and before no, and I I'm surprised at myself because before I before I was very close minded. Um, you know, there's a certain person in my life that that came into my life and and she's really opened my eyes. Um, at how close-minded I, I I can be at times, mm-hmm. right? You know, you're like this like crusty old trader, like ah, I'll never do that, and, you know, things like that. And then then people, you know, you talk to people and they're intelligent and they show you a different thing. Um, you start getting, you know, like it it's it, it opens your mind, and I'm very grateful to her for that. It's uh, it, it's she's you know kind of like teaching an old dog new mm. tricks. It's it's pretty. You know, and, and another thing that she taught me, and I'll, I'll just bring this up, um, you know, she trades multiple products and I'm like, what are you nuts? Right. You just, you, you've got to trade only the mini, mm-hmm. right. Uh, but she does so successfully, right. Because she's a pretty smart cookie. So, uh, you know, I started looking at other products using profile and I was blown away how technical some of them mm-hmm. are. And you can trade the micros on those like the Russell and oil and things like that. So, it, you know, uh, you know, I am I am learning to be more open minded, and I'm learning a lot actually by interacting with um, a younger group of people. I'm really quite yeah, happy. yeah, not school. I mean, and even uh, 
you know, great of you to take an open-minded approach and, and even bringing it back to the market profile. Like I, I've even found that fascinating as well. Like the point you were just talking about how market profile can literally be used for all different markets. And even I, I read what Jim Dalton used it for like uh, um, real estate as well. When it, yeah, that, that would be interesting. Yeah, right, right. No, it, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. So shout out to uh, Hollow Possum for the question. We appreciate it. Um, next question is from at should be trading. Um, and he has two questions. So we'll, we'll start with the first one. Uh, how does T plus two settlement affect the markets? And I think you should probably first off start with what is T plus two. Okay. Uh, T plus two uh, for equities um, means if I sell a stock on Monday, I can access the cash on Wednesday. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Really, and in the old days, when in the old days you didn't have to have money in the account to buy stock, you'd call up your broker and you'd say, "Buy me a thousand Microsoft," and he'd go and buy it, and then you'd have three days to bring in a check. Right now, they don't do this because you know everything's electronic, and you could execute a million times and blow up a brokerage firm before, mm-hmm. so you have to have money mm-hmm. in the account. But the, the settlement process of equities is you know, T plus the trade date plus one, two. So, you know, if something trades on Monday, those trades settle on Wednesday, mm-hmm. right? And how that affects the E-mini and the micro is especially during balance, um, T plus two is important like the close, um, the half back of two days ago, um, the, you know, the high and low, those will be valid reference points in trading the futures. And I kind of thought about that about a year ago and I started using T plus two and I started noticing sometimes it's insanely accurate, like to the tick. And I was kind of curious why nobody else looked at that. Um, and I think a lot of people forget that the ES is based on 500 stocks and there's a mechanics to that. Once again, the mechanics and the plumbing of the mm-hmm. system. Yeah. Right. Okay. So his second question is when overnight inventory is a hundred percent long or short, is it good to try and fade that move? And if so, would it be reasonable to enter at the open in the hour, hour you figure where to place your stops? Okay. Well, uh, according to Mr. Dalton, there's a 65% chance of success fading that move that there'll be a correction to overnight inventory. Now that, you know, one thing I learned from Peter Reznicek was to put it into context, uh-huh. yeah. right? You know, if we gap up and we're on a strong gap, um, fading that move, if, if you just do it blindly, um, you know, you really could could right. get a whooping. But if you do it in the context of you're watching the price action, I don't know exactly how long, but the, what I notice is um, sometimes if the inventory is insanely short, like for example, if we open, uh, you know, if we open the overnight and some sort of weird news adre- event drives the open overnight really, really low, and then you'll see in the overnight that the shorters couldn't get the market lower, then as soon as that market opens uh, in the regular trading hours, um, it'll rip back up. Everybody will think the market's going lower and it'll just rip really quickly. And that is a fast trade you can take off the open. If you can if, you know, let the market open for a little bit, you'll see that it's just not going any lower than the overnight mm-hmm. low. 
because the overnight has gotten so short. You also have to remember that, again, once again, because we're based on 500 stocks, there are market makers that are either long or short to retail from the night before, and they have to adjust their inventory, hmm. right? Yeah. So if you know if if they're if they're short to retail at fifty dollars, and we open gap down in the stocks forty five or forty, they'll step in there and start buying to cover their short that that they sold to retail the night before, and and that that is why these swings in inventory happen. Right, because the overnight in the in the futures is not tied to the S and P five hundred because the market's closed, so it gets away and it'll get you know it gets mm, pulled back. Okay, yeah, right, right, yeah, no, sure. So that that that's the the kind of things that I, I like to teach people is to think about think about what's going on. Are the market makers long or short stock? If if they're short stock, you know they've got to cover, and if they have an opportunity to cover. They'll step in, and and that's why lower prices attract buying instead of right, more selling. Right, understanding why, like like the uh, what's going on behind the doors. You know what I mean? It, it's real interesting. Like that's what you definitely like brought to mind. You know, I don't want people to yeah, I don't want people to get obsessed with it, but just know that there's something going on behind the pretty lines right. on the screen. Right, exactly, exactly. All right, and uh, shout out to at should be trading for the two questions. We appreciate you. All right, and uh, last question comes from at Buy Side Trade. Um, my girlfriend of two years is not supportive of my trading pursuits. I haven't become profitable yet, but I understand it takes time. She's worried I'm going. Uh, I'm going to lose the money I worked so hard to save. How do you guys suggest I handle this? Um, I think you should dump her, JJ. Oh, hey, oh, <laughs> easy. No, I'll let you, okay, I'll let you, I'll let you, I'll you handle this one. <laughs> Yeah, easy there, uh, Doctor <laughs> Phil. Um, okay, well, you know what? The best thing that the best thing for you is that the micro has been invented, and you can learn how to trade a market without huge huge capital drawdowns, right? Um, you know, if you open an account with the micro and put five hundred, a thousand dollars in it, and you wipe that out, I mean, and it's going to take a lot to wipe that out because you'll have to trade really, really poorly and not do any homework at all. Um, you know, a bad day in the micro is 50, 100 bucks, right? Um, and you can make that back, right? Whereas whether you, you know, you put $25,000 in an equity account and you want to, you know, day trade that, uh, you know, a couple of good hits will take that out, you know, uh, and, and 25,000 is a lot harder to remake than 500 mm-hmm. or 1,000. So I would, I, I would definitely, and I think if, you know, uh, your girlfriend, you know, is reasonable, then she would understand that. And, uh, and she would support that because you can learn how to trade for a lot less risk. How do you, you know, in, in going off of this, in this question, like, how do you explain to somebody, right? Cause, cause I've had this come up for me, right. In my, uh, you know, my little dating exploits, et cetera. Like when I, you know, would meet somebody, you know, meet a girl, Oh, I play poker. Um, and to, how do you explain this to somebody who might not even understand, what like you know what we're involved in you know like is there is it is it just too much of a disconnect or is, is there some way to open someone's eyes well i mean what's your opinion jj not well i mean it's uh for most people i'll just say you know what it, it's just look at me as a guy um you know who works as a mechanic um that works on the trucks that work in a market 
right? Uh, it's really because that's what I used to do. I was like the the guy who kept the semis on the road, you know, that belonged to Walmart, right? Um, you know, a market is just something that is created for people to sell something into that they bought at a cheaper price, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, it's an exit strategy for the people who have taken an economic risk by financing companies, right? So I'll explain that to them and they'll be like, oh, you know, it's like I financed this company for $5 million. I've got stock at 30 cents. You know, we open it up on the stock exchange to trade. I've taken a risk by giving them that money to finance them it, because they might never become public. So that's the risk and I lose all my money. I have no way to get it back. Um now that they've gone public and we, you know, my, my under my 30 cent paper or whatever is now worth $5. So that, that, that's my payout and I'm exiting my investment into you, the retail buyer, right? Who's buying it, hoping somebody else comes along and and pushes the price up, you know, with demand. And people usually understand Mm -hmm. that pretty quick. Yeah. It's gotta be just a a mutual level of understanding. Um, Not, not to get it. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know how to explain yeah. poker though, because I, I have no, I have no, I'm like, I've, I've never even, I don't think I've ever even yeah. played it once. No, uh, it's, it's always, always a little weird, you know, no, I mean, a lot of times people would just like, like a lot of girls would just be like, oh yeah, that's cool. Some girls would be like, what are you talking about? Others would think I was a degenerate gambler. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's uh yeah, I don't know. You, you just gotta, you gotta handle it in your own ways. And uh, trying to be eloquent, and I think, well, exactly. I mean, in my day, in the '80s, the people I knew who played poker were degenerate right, gamblers, right? right? Uh, but now it's a popular thing, and it's you know very it's a mm-hmm. social thing, and people are, you know, it's very popular, and with the advent of online gaming and all these things, the, yeah, you the see world it on ESPN, changed, so it has you know? a little different light now, yeah, yeah. You know, like me, me to me. You know, guys playing poker are, you know, three Asian billionaires in a house in Vancouver with about $4 million on the table. Yeah, I heard, I heard, I heard, right? um, I heard Bill Perkins the, there too. Yeah. At, you know, at four in the morning, right? You know, and uh, I have like, uh, I don't know, that, that's yeah. not for me. Yeah. <laughs> those, those are the best games to be in though, JJ. Those, those are the best ones to be in. Yeah, I guess if you yeah, knew what exactly. you were doing. But yeah. Uh, like, uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so uh, shout out to um, at Byside Trade for that uh, interesting question. We appreciate it. Thank you. Um, and so yeah, so everyone listening out there, get your questions in for next week. Um, we really enjoy you know interacting with you guys and answering questions. And um, so I think it's going to wrap up today's podcast. JJ, any uh, parting thoughts? Uh, no, no. I just uh, you know want to thank everybody who's. Uh, I really want to thank all, all the the retail traders who reach out to me and ask me questions, and uh, it's it's really nice interacting with you guys. Um, and it kind of also reinforces my trading, having to go over things, and you know, and also like I said, it's it's opened my eyes up to a lot of different things, like different products, and you know, maybe not to be such a grouchy hmm. old guy uh, and accept things and and see opportunity where I used to kind of go, yeah, you know, why do you want to do that? Um, it, it's nice to it, it's nice to um, to discover new things, you know. And I'm a quite appreciate. I'm very appreciative. Definitely, of definitely that. A beautiful thing. And um, yeah, just th- thank just thanks to all the listeners, everyone who's been supportive of the podcast. Me and JJ really enjoyed doing this, so we appreciate you guys. And uh, we hope to see you guys um, in our trading room next week. We'd love to interact with you guys. 
bring over the same type of vibe, have fun, create a good community. And so with that said, for the Gorilla of House Street, I'm Cannoli Fingers. See you guys next week. All right. Have a good night.